music, 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 technology, music, technology, music, technology. Hello, everyone, and welcome to this episode of Music Technology Teacher Talk. I'm your host, Heath, and as always, I'm really excited to share this episode with everyone. I always say that I'm excited about the guests that I speak with on the podcast, and after a while it may seem insincere, but I really do mean it. You know, my real job is teaching music technology classes to middle school students. I love my job, I support public education, but I do find it frustrating that students are often presented with a very narrow view of their future career opportunities. There is more out there than science, technology, engineering, and math. My guest for this episode stands as an example of what a successful career in the music production, performance, and entertainment industry looks like. Frederick Bam Scott and I go way back. He and I went to high school together in a small town in northwest South Carolina named Pendleton. We were both in the Pride of Pendleton band program. Bam was a percussionist and I played the tuba. After high school, Bam completed an associate's degree from Brevard College in North Carolina before attending the University of Miami to earn his BA in music. Bam now lives in Miami, and he is the president and CEO, producer, drummer, and main writer for the Big Bam Entertainment label. He received a Latin Grammy Award in 2004 for his production and writing collaboration with Latin artist Albida. In addition to managing and producing artists under his label, he has also worked with Emilio and Gloria Estefan, Quincy Jones, Javier Garcia, John Cicada, and many other industry heavyweights. He also performs regularly as a drummer, DJ, and has been the principal percussionist with the South Florida Chamber Orchestra. And, as if that wasn't enough, he has also appeared as an actor in commercials for companies such as T-Mobile, White Castle, and Sportsmania, as well as credited roles on television shows such as Burn Notice and Graceland. Bam! Welcome to the podcast. It doesn't sound like you have a lot of free time, so I really appreciate you taking the time to speak with me today. Not a problem at all, man. Not a problem. So, you know, I mentioned in the introduction some of your background and experience, uh, much about your company. So tell me about Big Bam Entertainment. I used to work for Emilio Estefan, and he does real estate, music, TV. He's into plays and everything now. So he told me in 2006, the music industry is going to change. Now, we're coming off the heels of Living La Vida Loca and all these other great songs written in the Latin pop industry. So I'm thinking I need to do something that's going to encompass everything. I had just started acting in 2007. So I started a company in 2008. I made it Big Bam Entertainment. So that covers me on screen, music, and anything I want to do that deals with entertainment. So when I set it all up, and I wanted, eventually this name will be a household entity like Sony, Warner Brothers, Big Bam Entertainment. Oh, you know, that's going to be something that everybody can just grasp and understand exactly where I'm coming from without question. So I went with the entertainment rather than company or something like that. I wanted to be Big Bam Entertainment because I want to entertain people. That's it. So you're doing you know, a lot of the, the talent management. So setting up gigs and scheduling gigs and for live performance? So yeah, Big Bam Entertainment is a company that I created to record, to manage and produce local artists that I have. I have an artist in South Carolina. Her name is Giselle Gathings. My wife is an artist. I'm an artist. A DJ company. I represent two or three DJs. We also have bands that we send out for wedding events, corporate events. So it's pretty much a one-stop shop for everything from the local level to the national level to the international level. And, but then you also have a studio that you're recording in also? 
uh, Big Bam Studios. It started off in, in my, uh, I had a small little apartment in Hollywood, Florida, and then I would move to Miami, and I have a small studio here. But a lot of times now with technology, dude, you don't need that large studio. You need a good DAW system, adequate speed on your internet because you're sending out stuff back and forth and receiving tracks. So the guy, my partner I had, the large studio with, we shut it down just simply because technology is, you know, took over. And thank God we did because of COVID. You know, this is just recently, too, that we just said, you know, let's just pull up shop. Because even with Emilio Studio, where we did a lot of our recording, it's a huge studio, but he's not getting that much traffic now. So he's, you know, people let go. And just, it's just, you can do so much just with your iPhone now, for crying out loud, GarageBand. You know, I can sit on a plane if I have an idea on my way home, come up with an idea, and then blow it out when I get to the studio. It's just amazing. Just absolutely amazing. Emilio Stefan mentioned in 2006 that the music industry was going to change. What did he mean by that? Did did y'all know then what was coming? Because we were part of Sony, we had a meeting that made all of us focus on writing music for video games. Think about your percentage rate for a song. That song sells for, what, $1.29? And if the, the whole CD back then, the CDs then were $14.99. So as a producer, depending on your contract, you were going to get about 7 to 8% of that. 7 to 8% of $14.99 is not a lot of money. 7 8% of uh, a video game on a DVD that costs 60 bucks. that's a lot more money. So we were, he was letting us know to get into that ringtones at the time. You could, 99 cents. If you get 7% of that and everybody's downloading that certain ringtone or whatever, that's, way, that's, that's how the industry had changed. And I'm telling you, we literally had a roundtable meeting of 40 producers. I'm talking about, I have one Grammy. Some of these guys had 10. And they were like, man, you're crazy. We're always, the music, everybody's going to always want music. But what he was trying to get us to understand was that everybody's not going to, pay this high-end money in a recording studio to do these albums. They're going to be smaller studios popping up. Technology is making it easier. And the money is just not going to be there. Nobody signs these major record deals anymore. Because of YouTube, you can be your own artist, get your own social media platform out there, and you do your own distribution. Labels don't do that anymore, man. And if they do, they want you to have at least a following of them. And then they're going to say, okay, here's a check to uh, we'll release your album. For what? You don't need that money. That's what he meant when the industry is going to change. <laughs> yeah, you know, I know it's really um, interesting, you know, what you're talking about. When I was looking at your website, you know, I noticed one of the things you have there is sell your records, not your soul. And that's certainly what you're talking about uh, here, how the, the music industry has changed. Yeah, I did that so artists will know where I'm coming from and major labels know not to tap into me. So that, that's cool for Sell Your Records, Not Your Soul, because I want it. Any artist that goes through and sees my website and whatever, because I want to be open and honest to the actual artists. They've been, artists have been taken advantage of for so long and that they pretty much expect it. And no, why should we expect to be taken advantage of? I'll tell you a quick story. I signed my first deal without an attorney. I was playing in a band, a local band, as a drummer. And I pretty much kept to myself. I didn't get drunk or high or something like that. that you know me, that's not my gig. So one of the, the lead background singer in that band, just a regular band, we did a lot of weddings and high-end corporate events. So we're not playing, we're not making 80 bucks a night. We, I leave the house knowing it's going to be 150 to 400 easily. You know, you do that a couple of times a week, some good cash, especially in the 90s. She says, bam, what do you do besides play drums? 
I was like, oh, you know, I make beats because there's a difference between making beats and producing. So she's like, well, let me hear one of these beats one day. So I brought her some stuff. She's like, you did this by yourself? I said, yeah. She goes, well, what are you using? I couldn't afford a whole Pro Tools rig, so I had an MPC. 2000. It's behind me right here. So I used that to make all of my tracks and a little Yamaha keyboard. She's like, dude, this is amazing. She goes, you mind if I take this, these, these tape tapes, they were cassettes, take them out and let, let me, I got somebody that may want to hear them. I was like, yeah, sure. I said, it's all copyrighted. So I did the poor man's copyright at the time. So I gave it to her. She goes, Emilio wants to have a meeting with you. I was like, Emilio who? She's like, Stefan. She was Gloria Stefan's main background singer. Her name was Donna. And so that's, she did all the tours, all the major tours of Gloria Stefan. So she set up this meeting. So I took Emilio some music. He says, hey, it sounds good, but can you give me something more like this? And he would kind of explain what he wanted. I'm like, oh, yeah, sure. I have that in my library. Let me just go home. And about now it's 30 minutes there and 30 minutes back without traffic. So I did not have the music that he wanted. I went home and I created it, okay? Exactly what he told me to do. I came back with the, the track. I said, yeah, I can come back tomorrow at 1. Came back tomorrow at 1. Yeah, it sounds good. I, I give me a little more of this and a little less of that. Oh, you know, man, you know what? I do have that. Let me just go ahead and grab that. And I'll be back tomorrow. What he was doing was testing my grit and my grind to see if I had what it takes. I did it all. I was presented with a contract uh, maybe a week later. I didn't have the money for an attorney. So I said, uh, let me look it over myself. I just got on my knees and said, Lord, just guide me on this, this journey. I have no clue, but you know. They said, we'll give you... 25 grand to sign with us, and then we'll pay you 900, eight or 900 bucks every other week just to sit down and write and compose. Okay? So I'm like, 25 grand, that's like an upfront money. It's like, yeah, but we'll get it back, you know, once you, you know, you start releasing records. But you release records at their discretion. That's the catch. So I said, how about this? You keep the 25 grand. I'm in a band, I'm working, you know, I can hold my own. Pay me from record sales day one. It was like, but it's an advancement. You need that money. I said, no, I don't. On top of my gig that I have, you know, playing drums every night, I can manage. So when the first records fly off the shelf, you pay me my 15%. It was like, okay, let's sign them up now. So I signed a deal. Dude, two years later, I hook up with Alvita and we won a Latin Grammy. Best Contemporary Artist, Album of the Year, Tropical Album, and Producer. Dude, <laughs> and they had to sort of cut <laughs> Because they figured they thought they were going to get over on me, but I ended up winning that battle. So, and I learned a lot, you know, being there. And I had to take a long uh, too. But moral of the story is, if you just stick to your guns and believe in yourself, you can do it, dude. Yeah, you know, I have a an acquaintance that I've gotten to know in the last couple of years with a studio that's opened in Athens, Georgia, called Tweed Recording. Uh, his name is John Snyder. He was actually the head of the jazz division with Atlantic Records. He's had like 30 Grammy nominations and six Grammy awards. But it's interesting with John because his background is actually as an attorney. Uh, he was a trumpet player and played in a band when he was younger, but when he went to college, he got a law degree. And that's one of the things that he's really passionate about now with the work he does with Tweed Recording, because they're also an academy where people can come in and learn the craft of recording. And he's really big on the entrepreneurial side of it. You know, he talks about how important it is to understand that when you create something that it has value and it belongs to you, like as soon as you either write it down, whether it's manuscript paper or whether you 
uh, you know, as soon as you hit that record button and hit stop, you've created something that belongs to you and that has value that you can monetize if you choose to do that. One of the things that colleges do a great job of training musicians, but I don't think they do necessarily a very good job of teaching musicians how to be entrepreneurs or business people, particularly if they're creating, that's something that belongs to them. So, you know, how did you get that business savvy coming from your background more as a, from a traditional music training? Bro, I'm gonna tell you this. I went to three schools, Brevard College, University of Miami, and Sony, <laughs> that record deal. That's what really got my uh, my wheels and wheels turning. I'm still working on the business part of it as a record label and everything else that I try to do. Schools teach you how to be a musician, how to read that chart in the booth, how to play it down. Business part of it, they don't really do that good of a job. And like you said, uh, they don't really teach you how to get a gig and keep a gig, how to dress well at your performance. If the band leader says, hey, I want black tuxes, that doesn't mean a black tux and a white belt. That means black tux all hell. Just a little things that probably get you kicked off the stage. And I've seen people get kicked off the stage. Professionalism isn't all about what's in your hands as a drummer or your mouth as a horn player, whatever, your hands as a guitar player. It's how you govern yourself accordingly, professionally on your job, especially if it's not your job. And a lot of people fail to realize that. And I've seen so many, so many musicians just die just because they can't cope and deal with structure. So in my business, I tell all my musicians, listen, I never fire anybody. You're going to fire yourself. If I ask you to show up on time, play the part, don't drink, go home, I'll see you on the next gig, please do that. If you're early, you're on time. If you're on time, you're late. Don't, if I'm paying you well, and I always do, man, I haven't even paid musicians since COVID-19 has popped off. A lot of musicians say, hey, man, I don't have the money. Dude, no problem. Here, here's a little something. Keep it going. Oh, I don't know when I can pay you back. Don't worry about it. Don't worry. That's because you honored me on my stage. I'm going to honor you and help you out off this stage. It's all about relations. And when I learned, when musicians see that when, you, when you're going to treat them white, treat them right and act like it's a business, then they're going to be less, less apt to act like a buffoon, you know, and that's going to help that brand. Because nobody's going to say, hey, that guitar player with Big Bam Entertainment wasn't, but the band was good. No, they're going to say something about the whole company. When the word gets out, oh, don't hire Big Bam Entertainment, man. Guitar player jumps around and says like a freaking animal. You know, it's just, it's just little things like that you can't do. So, I'm sorry, to answer your business question. Um, I just saw a lot of people doing things wrong as a drummer and a hired hand. And I always said, if I start my own business, this is what's not going to happen. So I'm literally building my company off the failures of others. And the two companies that I patterned my thing after, they're no longer here. And I'm still standing just because I saw so many things going wrong with that. And like I said, musicians being musicians and not being business minded. I hung out with other people that other entrepreneurs that just had regular businesses of whatever it was. And I always pecked, you know, pecked on their door like, hey, what's what's keeping your company afloat? How can I take your business model and put it into mine? You know, who do I need to connect with? Dude, I, I'm, I was the only member of the Miami Chamber of Commerce as an entertainment company. Like, I made so many of my connections off of that and hotels alone, you know? I never saw any other musician or anybody else meeting for the Chamber of Commerce. I'm like, commerce means money, that's a flow, as much as we're in hotels, you know, it's a win-win situation. I was only there for two years, but I made the connections I needed and not pay that Chamber of Commerce, you know, 
yearly uh, fee or whatever, so I keep it moving. So yeah, I just made build my company off the failures of others and just model it after regular guys, you know, and their companies. Yeah, and I think that's really interesting. You know, just talking about the professionalism from the standpoint as a musician. But I know another huge industry here in Georgia is the film and television industry. And you've had the opportunity to work as an actor also on television, commercials, and that part of the entertainment industry, too, that, like, if you go on a television set, a film or a commercial set, and you've got an opportunity, there's a professional standard as an actor you have to keep also. Yeah, this is how I got into acting, speaking of being professional. My agent lived across the hall from me in college, but she's not my agent. She's worked in the same agency. Her name is Barbara. She lived across the hall from me, and I was always cool with her, but I never, like, you know, like, hey, girl, you looking fine today, blah, 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 blah. I always respect, you know, whatever, whatever. She was a, a music theater major. Well, after grad, I was two years older than her. After she graduated, she got a job at a casting at a talent agency. One day, she's she's always said, "Bam, you should act." But her boss was like, "Well, he doesn't, you know, have any acting skills. So, but he's really funny. He's really got. Fun. He just got it. You should give him a chance." No, 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 no. So two years later, T-Mobile did a commercial with Dwayne Wade here in Miami. But the commercial was supposed to be with a record producer in the studio with D. Wade and Charles Barkley. So she's like, bam, you'll be perfect for this commercial. All you have to do is be yourself, follow a small script. You're in the recording studio. You know your way around everything. I was like, yeah. So the agent finally called me. It's for T-Mobile and D. Wade. I said, no problem. I go to the audition, do my thing, pretend I'm in the studio with these two cats, and I get a callback. It's a major hoop to jump through when you audition. I went to the callback. I got the part. The two days before I go film it, they say, bam, we got to release you from the part, but we're still going to keep you as a principal. I was like, well, what happened? She says, well, Cool and Dre, they're back in town, and the producers want to use those two guys in the studio with Charles Barkley. I said, no problem at all. But they still let me keep my principal slot, and that gave me the acting bug once I saw myself on a national commercial in 2000. Eight or nine, I think it was. And if you go on YouTube and look up uh, Get Me Out of Here, D-Wade, I'm the guy that yells, he's coming to Chicago. So I bought a couple of books, really honed in my craft, because I always knew that I wanted to take this acting thing to a next level. I always wanted to score. I took music scoring just a small bit for a semester in college. But I knew I wanted to get my music and my tracks into whatever I'm acting in. So I'm on a show called Startup. You want to check that out on Amazon or the Sony Crackle. I have music in two seasons of that, simply because uh, I met an executive producer. Real quick story. It goes back to being a professional. So uh, we're doing season one of Startup at the time, and there's a huge graveyard scene. I got a call on Tuesday to be in Puerto Rico to film it on Thursday morning at 7 o'clock. Our flights left Miami. We had a charter flight at 3. We landed at 5. We were on the set at 7 from this graveyard scene. So we had been filming out there all morning, all afternoon. It's 4 o'clock now. We're trying to get back to the hotel. I missed the first van with the A-list actors. I missed the second van with the B-list actors. So now is the third van with the, all the extras, you know? And anybody that's like, I'm a superstar. I cannot ride with these people. Man, I could care less. I was just trying to get back to my hotel room and, and just collapse. So... I take my time trying to get back to a van, not trying to be a jerk. 
and there's this old lady sitting in the back. <laughs> and she's like, hey, you sit with me. Come sit right here. So she patted the seat. I'm like, okay. So I sit down, and she's like, now, who are you? I said, I'm uh, Frederick Bam. Oh, she goes, now, are you part of that group that came in from Miami at the last minute for us? I go, yes, ma'am. So she says to me, uh, now, what else do you do? I said, well, I'm a writer, producer. She goes, for film? I go, no, music. She goes, oh, well, let me get you in touch with Ian, our music supervisor and our music editor. If you have any songs or any music that you would like to contribute, please send it to me. She goes, now, if you have anything, send me. She goes, you're so professional. She goes, you didn't, you, you, we watched you guys. Nobody complained about getting in late and being on set early. So I said, ma'am, professionalism isn't about how well you do your job. It's how you will, you take care of yourself outside the job and, and at that moment, you know, because people don't want that BS, man. They just want you to come in, do your job and go home. You know, just by me being have, being a good old homeboy from South Carolina, yes, ma'am, no, ma'am, I think that helped me out. So that allowed me to get songs and music placement uh, on that show for uh, for first season and third season. Sure, yeah. You know, what an amazing thing and what a simple thing that when you're just professional and a good person that people notice <laughs> that, right? Hey, man, it felt so good, man. Like I said, it was so hot that day, man, and she was just so cool and she gave me the opportunity, and dude, I didn't wait. I emailed her as soon as I got back to my hotel. Yeah, I know that um, you know building a successful career, really in anything, requires a lot of hard work. But you know, if you were talking to someone, you know, maybe a young person who was thinking about going into the industry, either music, acting, or whatever, are there some things that surprised you that were challenges? are things that you think are particular challenges that you have to kind of mentally prepare yourself for, you know, as you head down this road? Yes. And uh, you, what you have to be prepared for is the word no and the phrase not right now and maybe later and the phrase of you're not what we're looking for. The way I cope with that in the beginning, and I'm in my 20s, I'm like, what do you mean? This beat isn't bad. This this track is hot. This track is fire. Well, to you it may be, but not to the person that wants to buy it. So I looked at my life. I have several keyboards. So I said, okay, what I'm producing, okay, I need this certain sound. If I need a piano sound, it could be a bright piano, it could be a honky-tonk piano, it could be whatever piano, it could be a concert piano. So I'm scrolling through. Now, here's the thing. The, song, the sounds that I bypass to get to the sound, it's just like your life. They're great sounds, but just not needed at the time. So I had to learn to apply my tin that I'm a keyboard. And so when I get told no or not right now, it's not that I'm not good enough. I'm just not what they're looking for right now. Same way with acting. I could kill an audition, think I smoked it, but not get the part. That's cool. I don't take it personally anymore. That producer is looking for something, and I'm not what they're looking for at the moment. Now, if I go in there, screw up lines, fumble, bumble, stumble, mumble, I don't deserve the part. But when I gave my best, I can go to bed really easy that night. And so that's how I tell my students, like, don't get discouraged. Just keep trying. Don't delete. Don't get rid of tracks. Keep that because it's going to be a bass line or a drum sound that you can tweak five years later, and it's going to be a hit. A few years ago, Heath, we had a track called Black and Yellow. Black and Yellow, Black and Yellow, Black and Yellow. It was a hip-hop track. That track was about 10 to 12 years old. He kept recycling it. I can't think of the artist right now, but I heard this story at a winter music conference. He kept recycling, kept recycling, kept recycling until it became a hit. That one song set him and his grandkids up for life. 
So whatever you kids are doing, whatever producers are doing, don't delete. I have four hard drives I'm looking at right now, material from 2009, you know, and that some stuff, I, I'm recycling something. Okay, I'll keep this melody, but I'll eventually rebuild it. That's, I tell my students all the time, I'm like, don't delete anything. Don't. It, it might be better than you think it is exactly, later on, dude. you know? <laughs> Me and my wife uh, did a, a track called Funk the DJ back in 2009. He, that track sounds so much like Uptown Funk. And at the time, everybody told us no. Oh, it's not what we're looking for. Oh, it's not this. Oh, it's not that. When Funk, the, when uh, Uptown Funk came out, I looked at my wife. We were like... She said, that's funk, the DJ. I was like, exactly, dude. We were just ahead of our time. Like, so we didn't make the money Bruno Mars made, but at least we have comfort in knowing that our train is on the right track. <laughs> that's right. You know, I, another thing I, I tell my students often, you know, I say anybody that you listen to, any artist that you like, uh, that, you know, you hear them on the radio, you hear them on Spotify. I said, you know, the reason that you like them was because one day they decided that they were going to start performing music and it was terrible and it was awful. Yes. But they came back and they kept working on it yeah. until it wasn't, it wasn't too bad. And then it was pretty good. Pretty you good. Know, so I tell them, I was like, listen, you are going to make a lot of bad sounding music before you start making music that sounds not so bad. But that, that's just the process. Mm -hmm. And, you know, making that bad music is important because if you don't go through that, you're not ever going to learn how to be good. Bro, my first record was recorded on ADAT tapes. That's, they look like VHS tapes uh, to the listener. You know what ADAT is? Google it. It looks like a big old VHS cassette that you would have to put in a machine and wait till it synced. And then you had this thing called a BRC, which literally stands for Big Remote Control. And the buttons were the size of an iPhone that you pressed the board for. So you couldn't use two fingers and press. You had to literally punch it with your hand almost. <laughs> so my first album sounded like garbage, man. There was no iTunes, there was no uh, auto-tune or nothing like that, man. But I thank God for those steps and, that I had to go through to make the music that I am now. It's all a process, and you got to trust it, man. You got to trust it. In addition to, you know, just being a performer, you know, we've talked about managing talent, but being a producer. And that's one of the things, you know, with my students, when I have to explain to them exactly what does a music producer do, you know, I tell them it's sort of like being a, a football coach. Yeah. Uh, that you've got to, you know, your job as a football coach is to teach these people how to work together towards this goal. You've got to figure out, you know, where their talents are um, and help them develop that talent to make up that role. But, you know, artists can be temperamental. I think, you know, <laughs> making music, anytime you're performing, I think it's a very personal expression. So I once heard somebody say that being a music producer was as much about psychology as it was about music. So, Ooh, yes. And I know with you, you've been on both sides of being the producer, but also being the person who was being produced or being directed. Tell me a little bit about, you know, some of your experiences working with different artists as a producer and how your own experience of, you know, being on both sides of that relationship has kind of informed your own approach with how you work with other artists. Yeah, man. Uh, producers, like you said, are the football coach pretty much of the team. Uh, but some producers just work by themselves, and that could be all digital. 
or you would have a band that you're actually coaching in the studio to get the sound that you want. So it just depends on what kind of production of what kind of song it is. Uh, executive producer is pretty much just putting up the money for the situation. I've, I've had the privilege of, you know, being coached in the studio by some of the greatest. The funniest studio, the funniest studio story I have, one of the Marleys called me. I think it was Ziggy Marley. Hey, man, uh, the his producer called me. He said, yeah, man, we got this track we want you to record. It was right after 9-11. And the song was called In the Name of Your God. And uh, I'm like, okay, yeah, cool. So I said, is there a chart or anything? He goes, no, just come and listen to it. So they press, them listen to the songs. I got my drums. I'm going... I'm playing all the licks I know. I'm all excited. Dude, I finished the song, and the producer goes back on the talkback mic. He says, hey, man, that sounds great. Do you want to play the song now? What a humbling <laughs> experience that was. Uh-oh. From then on, I'm Dude, I played down the line, down the middle. Bro. That really took my playing to the next level. Because when you come out of college, man, you want to play or, or whatever situation, you want to play the best stuff and you're all excited. You know, you wasn't get, I wasn't getting that many calls initially to, you know, for recording sessions. One guy in town does pretty much everything. But just, to, I was like, man, here we go, here we go. But when he said that, dude, that really broke it down. And I used that same psychology when I'm the producer now. Like, I have cats coming and playing bass for me or guitar. I'm like, hey, man, that's great. Uh, let's, let's play the song now. And then they like, oh. It's a little belittling, but it's humbling at the same time. But you end up getting what you want, man. <laughs> yeah, it's not, about, uh, it's, not, it's not about you. It's about that, you know, everything's in service to the music. Dude, that's it. <laughs> that's it, man. I mean, yeah. even when I'm playing drums in church now, that thing still rings in my ear. Want to play the song now? <laughs> I don't care where I am, bro. Hey, yeah, you gotta play the song, man. Play these songs. And I laugh. Um, Jeremy Scruggs, one of my students at Pendleton back in the day, he and I still talk. Matter of fact, he texted me yesterday, and he's a chef now and a musician. So he's asking me how I'm coping with everything with COVID, and I'm like, yeah, bro, it's it's cool, man. But you know, I'm DJing and teaching. He goes, man, I'm so glad I know how to do something other than you know music right now. I was like, dude, you 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 got that right. <laughs> So that was just a little side note thinking about that. <laughs> yeah, it's, yeah, for sure. It's been tough. So one of the things I've been trying to do is connect our business industry here in Georgia with our, our higher ed colleges, universities, along with our public schools to try to get all those things connected. And one of the things that's frustrating is a lot of times people see the producer or the recording engineer or whatever as being a technical role. Like one of the things with music technology with the Department of Education, I'm not really sure where to put it. Like, is this a fine arts class or is this what they call a, a career tech engineering class? So people tend to sort of think about the recording engineers, producers as a technical job and the musician as a performer, as the artistic creative job. My view on it, at least, is, you know, if you're a musician, there's an incredible amount of skill and technique that you have to learn in order to be artistic. And what a lot of people, I think, don't understand about the producer, the recording engineer, is that you also have to have a lot of technical skill and knowledge. But ultimately, that role as a producer is highly creative, 
that the producer is every bit as much of an artist as the performer, you know? How do you feel about that? Um, well, something because I can just take my laptop anywhere or my tablet and come up with sounds that, you know, that that's my creative thing right there. Um, I think my favorite pop producer is Timbaland, and he's also an artist. I mean, he's given us some great music from 1999 up until now. You know, he's making stuff you have no clue that you're listening to Timbaland. And he creates, he's a sound designer also. So prior to prior to uh, 2000, so we never really heard or those little sounds are boom, boom, boom. Just the way he put his drums and those little things he creates and sound designs. So that makes him an artist, artist and a producer. So like, he's got so much creative juice inside of him. It's, it's mind-boggling, mind-boggling to hear him. And even sometimes when I catch him on Instagram, he'll go live while he's producing. And it's just for a couple seconds, but he'll just let you in his world. Um, artists are artists because they know how to record and sing. And producers are artists because we know how to come up with the songs that's going to make them sing and make them sound good. We help them get to that point, if that makes any sense. But we're not the ones that's stepping out on stage and yada, yada, yada. We've done our work. You know, we helped you get to that point that you're going to sing on stage and give that song to the world. You know, so we don't, a lot of producers are shy, to be honest with you, too. They don't want to be known. They just want to sit back and collect that check. Because there's so much that goes on in the world of an artist, you know? Like, my wife always said, I want to be able to go to Publix and come back home without somebody attacking me. And, like, I want to take a photo op or whatever. So, yeah, to ask your question, yeah, the producers are artists, but we're just a different kind of artist on the other side of the table, other side of the glass, making everybody else sound and feel good. You know, it's interesting, something that you mentioned. I was having a conversation with someone about how the music industry has changed. But, you know, back in the day, if we went and bought a record or even if you went and bought a CD, like you could turn it over to the back or pull out the liner notes and you could see like who that producer was, mm-hmm. what were the name of the musicians that you know, were playing that on that, the recording engineer. And, and that's one of the things that, you know, I wonder, you know, if, how our producers, because now in the world of like Spotify and iTunes, like all you see is the artist, the artist and the name of the song. Yep. And I wonder, uh, you know, if if we haven't lost something that way, or is that something that we that producers are kind of just accepting as a part of the the new industry? Yeah, they, they the, the producer I talk to, yeah, like uh, the ones I play golf with on a regular. That's doing. They're responsible for a lot of ba- uh, Bad Bunny's creations. Um, those guys, they 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 know exactly what's going on. That they're behind the scenes now, and nobody's going to really know them. The industry knows them, but that's it. The average person. And think about it, man. Kids now today, they don't have the attention span that we had to sit down and actually look at the back of a record. Kids don't even read cereal boxes like they used to. They're on their iPhones, you know. So you you think they're gonna look at the back of us or, or even Google? Who's playing guitar? Because they're just, in their mind, they're taking for granted that that guitar sound is coming from their iPhone or iPad through GarageBand. They could care less. They just want to know the lyrics and move their head. And that's it. They don't They don't think things, right? I'm not knocking this generation. It's just a different generation. That they just don't will the stone down to the common denominator to get to see what's going on. Sure, yeah. So just to talk a little specific tech, 
you know, Pro Tools was the industry standard doll for years from the, you know, mid 90s uh, into the 2000s. But we're beginning to see some people come out now with commercially very successful recordings using other kind of dolls, such, you know, Logic Pro, Ableton, FL Studio, others. Um, do you have a preference for any particular doll or are there any other dolls out there that you might suggest people consider uh, looking into? I've been with Pro Tools since Pro Tools 3, and I'm on 12 now. And just since the uh, whole lockdown, I was using uh, 8, I think. And then I was I was just hanging out. I was watching TV. And I was like, you know what? I have nothing else to do for a month. Let me just rebuild my studio in my, in my home. So I just went high-end, all-new everything. So I pretty much use Pro Tools 12 now. I use, and because of technology, man, I, this company doesn't even know I'm about to shout them out. ASDR. They have some of the best plugins and sounds that are so user-friendly. I just started going through, they, I saw them on Instagram, and I was like, oh, let me check them out. And a lot of their plugins come in, come with the new Pro Tools, like um, Expand and Boom. But they have other things like for your vocal. They have a thing called Vocal Finalizer. Heath, I promise to God, that eliminated so much problems for me, getting that vocal sound that I wanted. It's just really much, you click on whatever you want, and boom, it's there. I'm not the best engineer. I know how to get the sounds in there, but as far as frequencies, cut this out, cut this out, trim that, trim that, that's not me. That's why I always have someone else mix my things and master it. You got to know your, your your strength, bro, and your forte. So I don't have a problem sending it out to somebody else to do that. But what I do, when I do send it out to someone else to, to mix my projects, I sit there with them. So I'm not an idiot when it comes to mixing. I can get a good mix of it to let them know where I want it, but I'll, you know, I'll definitely hang out and watch somebody else do it while I'm paying them to do it. But as far as to answer your question, my dolls are Pro Tools and GarageBand just because they're so simple and I can always just do what I got to do and then blow it out later. So if I come up with a cool bass line, yeah, cool. It's a cool bass line. Now let me call my friend Todrick or Nate to come play on it and make it live and give it that grit because I like a mixture of synths and live stuff. I have my own drum loops that I've had over the years. So a lot of times the drums in the background are really me. You know, just because I, I always save my library, I'll save a session and I'll tell the engineer, hey, man, just can you throw this on this hard drive for me? And that way I can cut it up later, you know, and, and so still me on my drum tracks. My drum tracks are from another session, you know, are giving more foundation to my to my hip hop tracks or whatever I'm doing just to, you know, to spice it up and make it a little more organic. That's all. As you were talking about that, how much of what you do in the studio is digital versus analog? Or do you have any particular pieces of equipment whether they're digital or analog that you really you know like to use man i have i have no more analog yeah nothing is nothing is analog everything i'm looking all in my percussion is going to be live i have all my congas timbales uh tambourines drums that's the only thing i go live with other than bass and guitar i play my own keyboard stuff and uh right now i'm getting more into the, the edm music so that's all digital right there you know yeah so are you, what kind of microphones do you use? Uh, my Norman is my go-to for vocals. Um, I have a couple of SM58s, depending on what I'm going to use, some high-compression mics. I have some ribbon mics. I have a couple of Blue, the company called Blue. I have a couple of their microphones. And, and that's about it. I, don't, I, don't go, I used to go crazy with microphones. But then the older I get, and the less I, I scale down a lot of things just because technology 
and they're plugins now. So if I don't have a Neumann, I can make the mic that I have sound like a Neumann. You know, it's just, just technology really just cut out the middleman big time and have saved a lot of money. Like going back to ASDR, some of those plugins used to be 200 bucks. Dude, they have them some 90% off now. So, dude, if I see something, I just grab it, bro. Even if I don't know if I'm going to win, I'm going to use it. I just grab it, and it just builds up and builds up and builds up and builds up, man. And they're so user-friendly, man. ASDR. Remember that company. <laughs> yeah, man. You know, people that, that have been in the industry a long time, I mean, the, the technology is great, but I know some of them just have to be, like, angry. Oh, like, yeah, it's yeah, yeah, like, man, this is... Yeah, like, man, this is a crock of bull. They, <laughs> they get all frustrated, bro. <laughs> I'm like, man, calm down. <laughs> like, I'm like, calm down. They're like, no, you calm up. <laughs> oh, my God. So, well, listen, man, you, you've already taken up a huge amount of your time, which I really appreciate. So we're, we're kind of getting close to the end. Yeah, man. We, I, we I did want to ask, I mean, you've passed a lot of great information along, but... You know, whether you were speaking to someone like myself, who is a teacher trying to teach mm -hmm. teenagers how to create uh, and produce music using technology, or if you were talking directly to someone who maybe that teenager, they're, they're still in uh, you know, high school or whatever, thinking about pursuing a career in technology, what, what are some of the most important things that you think it is for us as teachers to try to teach them or as students for them to try to learn if they're really serious about wanting to pursue this kind of career? As a teacher, we need to be open to what's happening now uh, as far as the technology and just the sound of music, okay? I, I may not like Cardi B, you know, but my students do. So what I do... For my drum students, okay, let's analyze a Cardi B track. So I'll write it out. Okay, so let's play, pretending you were playing drums on this song for her, or if you're on her tour. So let's analyze what's happening. A lot of my students, I make them play it by ear. Okay, this is what you played, I'll record it. Now, this is what it really is, and I'll have it, I'll already, you know, printed out in finale what the actual drum part is. So they can see, they can bridge that gap. That's what I would say to the teachers, just be open and be mindful of what's happening today because what we grew up with is totally different from what they have right now. So we can't teach the kids based on how we were taught because that world doesn't exist anymore. Earth, Wind & Fire, the bands aren't touring like that anymore. It's, it's, it's Cardi B, it's Taylor Swift, it's you know whatever, whatever is hot right now. Little Uzi Bird, I don't know. So before, as students, I tell my students to be open to what we have to show them. Just because we're not that age doesn't mean we don't know. And we all have something that we can that we can share with them. Like you were saying earlier, you know music, but the kids know the technology. They have to be willing to listen and to bridge that gap, put both things together, and boom, you're going to have some amazing things for you and the students. Awesome. Well, I also noticed on your website, it says that you're working on an album, Love Notes. Oh, yeah. Uh, what can you tell me about, when's that coming out? Where can we find it? Or do you have, you know, some of your other stuff or artists? Is there a particular uh, platform where we can find your stuff? Man, I I got some stuff on SoundCloud, but it's on, it's on privacy settings because I use it pretty much for SongTrader. SongTrader is a, a website that allows me to license out my music to CBS NBC and whoever else is looking for stuff. So I don't have my things like really up like I used to. But going back to Love Notes, what happened? My sister got sick about five years ago and she almost died. My sister Angela. 
And I was like, man, I've never really done anything for her to like, you know, I, I know she's going to live or die. We really didn't know. We just left it all in God's hands. So once she gets started getting better, I was like, I, I love her, but it's not the love like, like just like I have for my wife. And then I was like, well, I love my parents. I love God. So I started thinking of an album called Love Notes, and that's going to be the love I have for God, the love I have for my parents, the love for my wife and my sister, you know? So all those songs, it's a different type of love. So that's why I started thinking Love Notes. So I started working on it. I stopped because I'm an artist and I'm working with other people. So I work on it when I can. When is the release date? I don't know when it's going to come out. I have no clue. Just when it's finished, it's finished. It could be an EP. It could be a double-length album. You know, I got so much material on it. And, like, just because it was hot in 2019 doesn't mean that same sound is hot in 2020, which goes back to what you and I said, never delete anything, because I could strip one song, keep the drums, bring in an acoustic guitar player, do that same song, and it's a hit. I just don't know. There was a bass line to Kiss by Prince. He didn't know it was going to be the hit until one day he was mixing, he pressed mute on the bass, listening for something else, and that's when he realized how awesome that song was. There is no bass line to Kiss. If you, there is no bass player going, you know, going, no, there is no, they muted it. What you hear is the low end from the guitar and the keyboards, but there's no bass. I didn't know that until I was reading a book about Prince flying home one day. <laughs> so you never know what you have. So I don't know when Love Notes is coming out, but what the CD is going to be about is what I told you, the, the different love I have you know, for the people in my life and God. Well, that's awesome. I'm definitely uh, going to be looking forward to that so when, <laughs> it, when it does so I can check it out. So You'll know. <laughs> Bam, it's been, it's been great to talk to you today. Again, I really appreciate you taking the time to speak with me for the podcast. Man, my pleasure. My absolute pleasure, buddy. Uh, and gosh, there's so much more to talk about. So hopefully uh, we can maybe sometime soon continue this conversation. We can, we can. Hey, everybody hit me up on Instagram. Uh, it's Big Bam Entertainment. Uh, Twitter is Bam Miami. And Facebook, Frederick Bam Scott. Uh, Big Bam Entertainment also with Facebook. So there you go. Music, music. Thanks so much for listening to this Music. episode of New Tech Music. Teacher Talk. Technology. If you would like to Music. check out more of Big Bam Entertainment's Technology. music, I would encourage you to check out the links in the program notes for this episode. This podcast is presented by the Music Technology Teacher Network. You can find us on the web at www.newtechteachernet.com. And if you'd like to read our blog, www.newtechteachernetblog.com. Also, follow us on Facebook, YouTube, and Instagram at New Tech Teacher and Twitter at New Tech Teacher Network. If you enjoyed the podcast, I would be super, super grateful if you would subscribe and then share and encourage your music tech compadres to check it out also. If you have ideas for future topics that you would like to hear on the podcast, or if you have any questions at all about music or learning how to create music with technology, you can email me directly at Keith, that's H-E-A-T-H, at newtechfuturenet.com. Folks, please stay safe, wear your mask, and keep your distance. But remember, a smile can go a long way. Advocate, support, inspire, create. The Music Technology Teacher Network.